What's up guys, Rick here with a topic that I get tons of questions about and it's one and done leagues. That's right. One and done leagues uh, have been popping up like crazy. They've been growing in popularity. I love them. So I know that you guys do too. And there are a lot of common mistakes that people make over the course of the season. There are some things that uh, even without a lot of skill or even a lot of um, you know, research or paying attention every single week, there are things that you could do to put yourself in a position to find success without much work, right? So here I am to, to show you uh, some of those little tips, some of those little tricks to hopefully make you successful in your one and done leagues. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into it. Know your rules. I can't believe I have to start with this, but this is literally the number one mistake that I see each and every year, I get a lot of emails about it, not understanding the rules of the contest or the pool or the league that you are in is the easiest fix, the easiest way to be good, and it's the number one mistake. So in general, the standard one and done rules are something like this. You pick one golfer each week. Uh, once you have used that golfer, you can no longer use them. And the scoring system usually revolves around the money that they earn in that tournament. So you have to know which prize purses are larger than others, for example. However, just from hearing from all of you, I know that there are infinite variations of these rules. Some contests, some leagues will ask you to pick two golfers during the major championships. Some leagues will give you a mulligan. Maybe it's a two and done. You can use a golfer twice. Um, maybe uh, your season ends earlier than normal. So here's also a big one. The tour championship in recent years uh, on the PGA tour has changed into all bonus money, right? So how that is paid out on uh, your one and done league can be wildly different. Some one and done leagues end before the tour championship so that you don't have to save golfers for that. Some will take a percentage of the, the, the prize purses or the bonuses for the tour championship. So for example, um, if you're in one that takes, you know, maybe 20% of the bonus money, that might be the biggest payout of the year, right? So you might want to be saving golfers. These are all things that when you enter the league, you need to know because most people screw it up. Uh, they don't realize what's going on. And then you're behind the eight ball immediately before you've even entered a pick. Knowing the rules also extends to knowing the payouts and knowing how many people are in the contest with you. Knowing the payouts. Is it winner take all? Does the top 10% of your league get paid? Does the top 50% get paid? These are all things uh, that will help you drive decisions. If it's winner take all, hey, maybe you want to be very volatile. Take a high risk, high reward approach because it's only one spot that's going to be paid out. If the top 25% get paid, maybe you're happy taking a more safer, chalkier approach. Also, knowing how many people are in your contests is crucial. If you're only playing with nine others and it's a 10-team league, you don't have to be all that crazy. You know, you can probably start piling up the chalk week in and week out, not have to worry about too much, and, and probably getting, you know, on average two hundred dollars or $250,000 a week is, is probably more than enough to win that league. When you start getting into multiple hundreds of people or even multiple thousands of people, you're probably going to want to take a more high risk, high reward strategy because the person who wins a multi, uh, a multiple hundred or a multiple thousand person 
league is going to have to have a ceiling season, right? They're going to have to get multiple winners, maybe five or six winners over the course of the season. You're going to have to pile up money all the time. You're definitely going to have to find winners at some of the majors, things like that, or, or, or the play, payouts that are much higher. So uh, this is all part of your strategy and understanding that before you click a name in the very first week is going to set you apart from the rest of your competitors. One of the theories and the strategies that I've been using successfully for the last couple of years is something that I just call the top five. The top five strategy, the top five theory, I don't know, we'll think of a cool name for it, but it revolves around the top five players on the betting board, in the betting odds, each and every week, and really only choosing one of those guys. Uh, One, it makes your decision-making process Really, really easy because it narrows it down to a handful of golfers. Two, we can talk ad nauseum about, is this a good course fit? Does this golfer have the right recent form? How's their history here? All of that stuff. However, Vegas has done that for you. Odds makers have already done that for you. And they're giving you essentially... I don't want to call them projections or predictions, but you know, they're 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 scoring and grading the field and assigning odds to it. That's that's pretty much uh, more homework than the vast majority of all of us are going to be able to do and then actually putting their money where their mouth is. So, um the, the reason that I like uh this top 5 strategy, there's a lot of reasons, but the way that I have done this research, and this is off of a 32 event uh, set in 2021, where I took the top five players in the betting odds um, each and every week, and I ran an an analysis on uh, their finishing positions compared to other players that might have been further down the board. So the way that this works, to be considered in the top five, um, it could be more than five golfers. So for example, if the betting odds for a specific week were eight to one, 10 to one, um, uh, 12 to one, 14 to one and 16 to one. That's five golfers. Those are the top five in the betting odds, the five shortest odds. If there was a situation where it went like this, eight to one, 10 to one, 12 to one, 14 to one. And then there were three guys at 16 to one, which would be the next shortest odds. I included those three guys. So there was a chance that the top five was five golfers and there was a chance that it was six golfers or seven golfers or eight golfers. I think eight was the most that any one tournament had, but generally take um, the top five shortest odds, one of those golfers every single week. And really here's how it all played out. One of the golfers in the top five of the betting odds won the golf tournament 10 out of 32 times. That's 31% of the time. That is a massive number. One third of the events, someone in the top five, and remember, some of these fields are 144, 150 golfers, won the golf tournament. That is a massive clip. Um, they missed the cut 20.6% of the time. So they actually won, someone in that range won more frequently than the combined missed cut percentage of all of those golfers. Uh, it's a staggering rate. It it illustrates that you should be generally uh, living in the top five. On average, their average finish was 37.6, which um, doesn't sound all that great, but when you compare that to everyone in the field or even the guys in the next tier of odds, it's significantly better. So living in the top five of odds um, has been has been a valid strategy 
for seemingly a very long time. There's a couple other good things about this top five strategy because I know the fir- when I bring this up, the first question that I often get is, oh, well, you know, it's the same guys every single week. It's always John Rahm. It's always Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson. And you're not entirely wrong. But in those 32 events that I ran, there were 47 different golfers that at some point were inside the top five of the betting odds. Because remember, you've got to make a pick for Puerto Rico. You've got to make a pick for the Honda Classic. You've got to make a pick for the Travelers Championship. All of these other events. Uh, and there are names that that enter the top five of betting odds that you um, might not come to the top of your head. So 47 different golfers were at some point in the top five of the betting odds. Well, that's probably more golfers than picks you have to make. Because if your season runs from January to September or the end of August, that's probably what, 36 picks you have to make, something like that. Um, so there are enough golfers to continue to do this. Now, you have to be a bit strategic about where you play them, which we'll talk about in a second, but this theory continues to hold weight, continues to be a viable strategy, uh, even when you start to realize that oftentimes it is a lot of the same players, but there are enough of these players to go around where you can essentially get one of these guys in every single tournament of the year. The next big question revolves around where to use which golfers. And I've got data to back that up as well. But in general, uh, knowing the prize purses, right? Every single purse of a tournament uh, can be different. Obviously, the major championships have a huge prize pool. The WGCs have a huge prize pool. The um, The Players' Championship is going to have a massive prize pool. It, it, it's just... Knowing where that those are generally the spots that you want to deploy your best players because if they win, they're going to get you the most money. Now, the caveat to that is everyone knows that and everyone is going to use that strategy, but there is also data that continues to align with where to use the top five golfers. Where do you want to use your best golfers at what tournaments at what prize purses? So, here's the analysis uh, again that I ran, and again, these are for top five players in the betting odds and the best average finishes have come at major championships. So the top five in the betting odds at U.S. Opens finish on average 11th place. At the Open Championship, it's about 15th or 16th. Uh, Then it's the CJ Cup at 17th. So what this essentially says, and this makes complete sense, is uh, that in in five of the top six events in which you want to absolutely play top five golfers, top five in the betting odds, they're major championships and they're no-cut events. You know, the WGC Workday, that's a no-cut event. The Zozo Championship, that's a no-cut event. The CJ Cup, that's a no-cut event. Uh, and then the Open Championship in the U.S. Open. The only one that does not that does not fit uh, with the rest of them that's in the top here is the Travelers Championship. So really, As we talk about all the time, cream rises to the top at majors. Cream rises to the top when you are guaranteed four rounds. And this doesn't mean best players, right? Someone is going to comment on this video and say, oh, well, that's because the best players play the U.S. Open. Uh, Yeah, but there are still only five guys that are going to be in the top of the betting odds, right? Even if you have players 300 through 350 playing a tournament, five guys are going to be in the top five of betting odds. So it doesn't matter, right? So don't don't comment with that. I'll save you the time and energy right now. Uh, So really, if you're following this strategy and if you are starting to set your schedule, starting to 
try to figure out where to play these golfers. You absolutely need to be in the top five of the betting odds at the majors and the no-cut events. That's really not, not only is that where they're showing up, not where, is that where their best finishes are? That's where the money's at. Now, if you want to be different, if you want to get out of the top five, if you want to try to find places to make up ground, we'll talk about that in just a second. The tournaments that you can do that historically, the Wyndham Championship, the Shriners, uh, even the PGA Championship, believe it or not, the PGA Championship, because um, obviously it, it rotates and it's a bit more random. It's a very, very large field. You get more volatility. Top five hasn't always been so great there. John Deere Classic, Rocket Mortgage Classic. Those rounds out the bottom five on the schedule, places that um, uh, of the worst finishes for the top five players in the betting odds historically. So again, that's where you can find your volatility. That's where you can go a little bit outside the box. That's where you can make up ground. We'll talk about again that in just a second, but you've got to be living with the top five players in the betting board at the majors, or at least the majors except the PGA Championship historically, and the no-cut events. One of the big things that I like to do is create an outline or schedule my golfers for the entire year. Now, I'm not I'm not going to bend the knee to that. Like if, if something changes or I want to make an update uh, later, I'm happy to do so. But I think this is a really, really good exercise, especially for people who are trying to take one and dones more seriously, because the worst thing that you can do uh, is be kind of a prisoner of the moment and and just look at what happened last week or in the last two weeks and, and change your entire strategy based on what a player did in two rounds, for example. And when I used to do this a lot, I used to run, uh, you know, I would, I would run parallel one and done entries, one where I would set it each week, one where I would schedule it out before the year started. And honestly, the one that I scheduled out before the year started oftentimes would beat the one that I would go through week by week because I was not at the mercy of my recency bias, which is a really interesting thing to do. It's at least a good practice. Now, there's going to be times you pick someone, they don't end up playing that event. You have to swap them out. That happens two or three times a year. But you can start to get into the feel of saving my golfers for major championships. I'm going to deploy somebody here. Is this a sound strategy? Am I making sure I'm using everyone? That's the big thing. I often get emails. Hey, Rick, or DMs. Hey, Rick, I'm down... Uh, $2 million in my one and done with uh, four events to go or three events to go. And I have Rom, Rory, Dustin Johnson, Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland, Jordan Spieth. Uh, I have these guys left. How should I play them? You shouldn't have those guys left. Use them. Use them, please. You, you, you might not be down $2 million if you've used them. A lot of people will get so concerned about saving golfers, they'll never use them. It's crazy. So, um... Here's what I what I would do. I would suggest creating a schedule. You don't have to, again, you don't have to be a prisoner to it uh, for the entire year, but create a schedule. Go through the strategy process. The way that I would do this, there's a lot of ways to do it. I would use, obviously, I would use my site, rickrungood.com. I would go to the Holy Grail. I would go to the results tab. What I've already done here is I've loaded in, you know, five or six of the top golfers. Maybe, maybe I just want to say, okay, let me start putting these guys in certain positions. And what this allows you to do is it allows you to look by course uh, the results for each one of these golfer and their average positioning. So obviously if a golfer like Dustin Johnson, who in their only visit won at that course, it's probably not a good example because it's just a small sample size. So you start scrolling down until you find, um, here we go, Jordan Spieth in his four starts at Kapalua, that's the Tournament of Champions, his average finish is 3.75. 
because he has a win, a second, a third, and a ninth. Now that's only a 30 to 35 to 38 golfer field. So keep that in mind, but that's a really good starting point. Um, Then you would look and you'd see, oh, wow, Dustin Johnson at Riviera. That's the Genesis Invitational. He has a win, a fourth, a second, and a 16th. That's a 5.75 average position. So you could load this in for a lot of different golfers. Actually, I'll load Hideki in here too, because I bet you Hideki and Webb Simpson, they're a couple of specialists uh, at some of these courses. So what it is actually going to allow you to see is course horses for every course and for every player on the PGA Tour. Here's Hideki at Narashino at the Zozo Championship. A win and a second place finish. Um, he also has some good ones. Let's see. Here is, we're going to find some good ones here with um, Hideki and Webb. Here's Spieth at Augusta National. First, second, second, third, third, 11th, 21st, average finish 6.14. Here's Rory at Eastlake. Again, small field, eight trips, average finish 7.3. Let's let's sort this by starts here. Yeah, here you go. Webb Simpson at Sedgefield, 13 starts, average finish 18.6. That's unbelievable. Unbelievably good. Let's find some of Hideki's better spots. Um, Hideki Augusta National average finish 31st. Here we go. Hideki at Eastlake. Could you give up? Could you give up uh, Rory at Eastlake to use Hideki at Eastlake? Would you be giving up all that much? Interesting. Hideki at uh, TPC Scottsdale. Yeah, here's a good one. A couple of wins, a second place finish. Actually, the WD really kind of tanks him a little bit here, but average finish 22.75. This is what I would do to start finding the best courses for each one of these golfers because you're going to find some real good specialists Webb, Hideki, Rory this will allow you to start learning where golfers have really good history start plugging them in and then you know you can fill out the rest of the spots with your studs or whatever ends up coming next Um, I'm a big proponent of from the start, just just pedal to the metal I do not think there's a lot of reasons to to save golfers because I think you are uh it's much easier to burn through all your golfers and be running on fumes coming down the stretch than to have not used your best golfers. Because as the season goes on, as the year goes on, there's going to be breakout stars. There's going to be a Sam Burns. There's going to be, I mean, Billy Horschel has has had great run. I mean, there's going to be plenty of options at any single one of these events. All of these guys are so good at golf. Golf is so random. I think the worst thing that you can do is really hold on to your studs and eventually not use them. I'd rather use them earlier than I should and try to figure it out later, but at least I use them. Um, And then finally, I want to talk about strategy because uh, everything that I've talked about to this point is generally like, you know, the the most optimal way to play. You want to play your best players at the no cut events and the major championships. And then you want to fill it out with other guys that are in the top five and all that stuff. That's in a vacuum. Uh, As the season starts to go on, you're going to find yourself compared to the rest of your league in a specific position in the standings. Maybe you're near the front. Maybe you're in the middle. Maybe you're at the bottom. And your position should begin to dictate your picks, um, obviously, because it's one thing to play optimal, but playing optimal sometimes, especially in a golf or a sport as volatile as golf, is not going to be the best. So let me give you a couple of examples here. If you are chasing, if you are in the middle or in the bottom of your league and you know you have ground to make up and maybe we're, I would start looking at this about halfway through the season. Once you're halfway through 
maybe start making some adjustments. Uh, and if you are in, you know, the bottom third and you need to make up ground, it no longer behooves you to take who everyone else is going to take. So let's say we're under the impression that when you get to uh, the Open Championship or the, let's the PGA Championship, everyone is going to use Rory McIlroy. You can see that most people have him saved. He's going to be one of the top five shortest odds of the week. You know he's going to be popular. Maybe he's playing well coming in. If you're a million dollars behind or $2 million behind, it doesn't make any sense for you to pick Rory McIlroy when everyone else is going to pick Rory McIlroy. Even if he wins, everyone ahead of you gets that money as well. Uh, what you would rather do is take someone a little bit further off the beaten path, right? Someone just a little more um, contrarian so that if that golfer wins, you're the one who's playing leapfrog. This is game theory. And I know what you're saying, but Rick, isn't shouldn't I just be getting the $2 million? Yes, but also... Rory McIlroy might have a 10% chance or less of winning the PGA Championship in this example. It is a small, small percentage of the time. You can get someone who's probably 7 or 8% to win the tournament at one-tenth of the ownership and not be that much of an underdog. And if he, if your pick does win, you're going to pass everybody, right? If you're the only person who has him or you're one of the few people that has him. So it becomes a game theory situation. And then the closer that you get towards the end of the season uh, and the further behind you are, the riskier you need to be, right? You're going to need to start employing golfers where you might be the only person in the league who has them because if they win, now you jump up. So um, that's part one. Uh, the other the other end of that is uh, if you're front running, if you're front running, if you're near the top or at the top, now you're just chalk city. Let everybody else try to catch you. Now you're just taking the chalk every single week. One of those top five golfers, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, in our PGA Championship example, you'll take Rory McIlroy, who is 3% more likely to win than somebody else, and you'll just pile up your small 2 and 3 percentage uh, advantages each and every week and let everyone else try to come and get you. Uh, a lot of times, people near the top... Um, you know, everyone wants to be the smartest guy in the room, myself included, but it, it, near the top, it, the strategy becomes very, very simple. You just take the chalk each and every week. And then of course, um, if your league allows you to see who others have used and you're trying to make up ground, it's very easy to go and look and say, oh, wow, you know, I'm, I'm behind five people. All five of them have used John Rahm already this season. I still have him available. Why don't I use him here? At least knows, at least, at least, you know, it gives you a clear path um, to the top or a clear path to being the only person to have a specific golfer, especially one of John Rahm's caliber. So um, definitely knowing your position is, and then making picks accordingly is one of the most important in-season adjustments that you can make. All right, so just to recap, everything that will help you have a leg up in your one-and-done league. Know the rules. Know your payouts. Consider setting a tentative schedule, at least for practice, before the season starts. Live within the top five of the betting odds and use them, especially at the big payouts and the major championships and the no-cut events. And know your position, when to chase and when to front run. If you understand those aspects, you will be much better then most of the people in your one and done, it's obviously going to take a little bit of luck and a little bit of skill uh, to get the job done, but at least this is a really good foundation. I wish you the best of 
luck. You can follow me on Twitter at Rick Run Good. You can leave a comment below and you can certainly subscribe to my website, rickrungood.com for all of your golf data needs. I'll talk to you soon.